six to eight is what I'm being told to say. Six to eight is all access conference, which I'm probably going to say it again in a second because I think it's my first slide. Oh, is my, this is my slide. Hey guys, we have a conference coming up. It's uh, March 7th through 10th. And I hear that the kids are in the, the, the teens and the youth and the kids are going to have some fun things uh, planned uh, during that time as well. So you need to make a, make, make a plan to be there. I, I don't think you'll regret it. Okay. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? It is a good day. It is a good day. If you're joining, joining us on live stream, thank you for joining us. Uh, hey, in conjunction to our conference, we also have this thing called the Business Collective that we are launching here at Springhouse. There are, if you are a leader, a manager, an owner of a business, um, aspiring leader, would you raise your hand? Leader, owner, manager, okay, lots of you in the room, okay? This is for you. This is for you. We would like you to sign up for this. Pastor Justin, as well as Josh McLeod, are going to team up, and they're going to be leading this uh, uh, business collective uh, on this particular day. We're going to free breakfast and giveaways. In giveaways, yes, okay, okay, in giveaways and stuff, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Um, just an opportunity to connect with other business leaders and talk about how you can advance the kingdom within your business and your leadership principles. So uh, come and be a part of that on that Saturday morning of the conference. Also, I've not actually been up the last. Um, well, that's not true. I just spoke long the first week. And the second week, I didn't get a chance to say this because I was out of town last week. Uh, but we were in the middle of Lent. And how many, has anybody taken part in looking at the Lent devotional videos? Okay, good. Okay, so you found those. On our app, we are in the middle of, of Lent. And our kids and youth department have taken over those videos. And man, I tell you what, never negate the Holy Spirit's power to speak through the kids and through the youth. Uh, they're a minute and a half to five minutes long. Uh, every day there's a video posted except for on Sunday. So go on the app and you can go back and watch them retrospectively. But you definitely want to uh, be in that routine. I would encourage you to do that as part of your journey through Lent. Okay. Uh, and then also Pastor Justin started a series on Thursday from six to seven in here uh, called Lessons from the Table. And I, uh, I, was, I was actually with the youth this last week, but I watched it online and it's powerful. You, you want to be a part of, of that gathering. Gathering and uh, you can go back and catch the last one online, but come and be a part of our midweek gathering six to seven as we, as we, uh, as this also prepares us for, uh, for Easter. Okay. Lots of opportunity there. And then of course, no better preparation than a daily active relationship with the word of God. Springhouse church. Do we believe in the word of God? Yeah. Do we believe that it is true? Yeah. Do we believe it's alive and active? Yeah. We need to be in it daily daily. Okay. This is our reading plan for this year. If you need this resource, it's available online or on our app uh, as well. So we are in a series uh, through the entire year. We are talking about his word. We've been, we've already talked about his word. We're going to, we're talking about his life right now. And then after Easter, we're going to be talking about his church for the remainder of, of the year. And I have been just learning and growing so much about Jesus's life and looking at Jesus's character and what he said and what he did. And, uh, and I hope that you have also been gleaning some of the instruction from the word about watching Jesus and how his life, how he modeled his, his life. And so the first week of the series, we talked about that Jesus was always about his father's business. So, and what is the father's business? God is in the business of loving people. God is in the business of loving people. And so the first week we talked about that we ought to be also about the father's business, which is also loving, loving people. In week two, we talked about selfless living. Selfless living, selfless love requires nothing in return. 
Selfless love requires nothing in return. Jesus modeled this so perfectly in the way that he even went to the point of laying down his life for each of us, even though we didn't deserve it. Amen. He did that for us. Last week, Pastor Allen spoke and he talked about compassion. Compassion requires us to do something. When we see a need, when we see somebody in front of us, Jesus was always entertaining the needs that were presented to him. He was never too busy to entertain what was exactly in front of the people that were right in front of him. And compassion requires us to do something. And as Pastor Allen would say, it's not just for us-ins, it's for those-ins too out there, okay? So, we're going to look at Jesus today, and we're going to look at the portions of his life. We're going to look at how, his, uh, how he embodied this love that he had for sinners. Who qualifies for, as a sinner? Everybody in the room, okay? So would you stand with me? We're going to read with gusto from John chapter 15. Probably a familiar passage uh, for some of you. Let's read together. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let's stop there for just a second. Let me go ahead and preach. Um, if we notice the first part of this, who was the group that actually was interested in hearing Jesus? The tax collectors and the sinners, okay? So let me just give you a little object lesson. It would be as if... I'm, I'll use myself as a Pharisee. It'd be as if we had some people walk in who have no idea who Jesus is, and they're more interested in hearing from Jesus than I am, okay? Or maybe perhaps you are, okay? It was the tax collectors and sinners that wanted to hear from Jesus. Here's Jesus's response. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Father, I'm so grateful for your word and that it is alive and active today. Lord, I pray that you would use the words that I'm about to, to speak, Lord, to change people's hearts and lives, God, and that you would give us eyes to see others the way you see them. We love you today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> there, are, uh, there are many different cultures around the world, many different types of lifestyles, experiences, cultures uh, all across this globe, some that we understand, some we don't understand. Uh, and I wanted to kind of examine some of the cultures that you might run into here, especially here in America. Uh, we, uh, you know, we, we champion the melting pot of culture, uh, cultures that we have here. But let's look at some of maybe some of the traditions around the world of some of the cultures that we have. Now, this is a thing now, okay? So let's just... <laughs> It does match my shirt. Vonda. All right. Some tribes in China follow a tradition where the husband carries his wife and walks over burning coals. These tribes believe that this practice would help the wife have painless labor. 
And some believe that walking over burning coals prevents natural disasters. Some choose to do this as the husband and wife take their first step into the new home, and some choose to do it when they know that the wife is pregnant. The husband usually does this barefoot with his wife on his back. In a yearly festival in Spain, men dressed in yellow, yellow run and jump over babies. During this festival, babies born in the previous year are placed in arranged rows of pillows spaced out down on a public street. The men dressed in bright yellow costumes and masks began to run down the street, jumping over the rows of children like Olympic hurdlers. This tradition started in the early 1600s as the villagers believed that this keeps the devil away from these children. Everyone grieves differently after the loss of a loved one. But the women in Indonesia have quite a unique and severe way of dealing with grief. When they lose a loved one, the top joint of the woman's finger is amputated. String will be tightly tied around the finger until it goes numb. And then a family member, often a sibling or a parent, will cut off the top of the finger. The wound is then burnt to stop the bleeding and prevent infection. This process is carried out to symbolize the pain suffered after the loss of a loved one. In the Arab culture, greeting a friend or meeting a new person consists of three gentle nudges or rubs of the nose. The importance of the nose in the Arab culture cannot be overstated. It symbolizes pride and honor and is even used as a metaphor in the Arabic language to describe a person who has high self-esteem and is proud. Placed in the center of the face, the nose carries profound symbolism, making it the place to greet someone with the utmost respect. Lastly, in the Amazon rainforest in Brazil, a boy does not become a man unless he can withstand being stung by a swarm of bullet ants. This ant has the most painful sting among all insects. Some even say that the sting is just as excruciating as being shot by a bullet. The initiation ritual, ritual includes the boy sticking their hands in a glove full of bullet ants while they dance. Moreover, this tradition is not a one-time thing. The boy must go through this routine as many times as it takes for him not to cry during the process. The day he can adore this torture without shedding a single tear is the day he becomes a real man. Now we hear those cultural and traditional experiences that people have and many of us in this room would look and say, man, that is so weird. That is so odd. That is so strange. And to some of us, it really is, but it's not to them. We are a people whose stories are woven based on our cultural experiences and where we grew up and who we were assigned to and the places geographically we live. And so our experiences and our culture is vastly different than our brothers and sisters. Let me reiterate our brothers and sisters around the globe. And we have a very different experience, but just because we have a different experience doesn't necessarily mean that whatever they are doing is wrong. It simply helps us understand and opens our mind to while there are many different cultures and many different ways to do things and many different ways to handle circumstances and situations, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story, and we cannot be quick to judge that which we do not understand. We ought not be quick to judge that which we do not 
understand. We had a foreign exchange student. His name was Nai Fu. He was from China. He came, lived with us. This was probably a decade ago. And I remember one of the first mornings that he was with us, or one first week he was with us, um, he had grabbed all of his underwear and he took it to our kitchen sink and took a wooden spoon and started washing his underwear in our sink with a wooden spoon and soap because he didn't know how to use a washing machine. And so I had to go to Naifu and say, oh, no, 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 this is not how we wash our underwear here in the United States. And so I began to teach him and show him to go into the washing machine. He felt so bad. He felt, he felt so ashamed and so, and so bad that, that he did that. Simultaneously, we had another boy. He was from Brazil. He was a little more well, uh, wealthier. And uh, his underwear stood in the middle of the floor of the hallway. And I said, Antonio, you need to clean your underwear. And he said, no, that's for your wife. And in our culture in the United States, when you say something like that, you're on a plane on the way back home. (laughs) Both boys were excellent, and we were so glad to have them in our house. But they had to acclimate to our culture. They had to acclimate to... They had to acclimate to, to the way that we do things here. And we learned about their culture and how they did things from where they were. They have a story. You have a story. Everyone has a story. In addition, everyone is a sinner. Doesn't matter what your background is, where you come from, what color, nationality, creed. Everyone on planet Earth has got the same chronic issue. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. Romans 3 says this, for all, all means all, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of this truth, because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, not only does everybody have a story, not, not only is everybody sinned, everybody needs a savior. Everybody needs a savior. And so, As we examine cultures and as we think about different people and different bodies, it's not so far different than the person who's sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you that you're not daily connected to and the fact that they have a story, a pathway, a journey that they have walked that you may not know all the details about, you may not know all the circumstances of, but somehow that brought them their story, their, their pathway, their journey brought them to Smyrna, Tennessee at a small church on Old Nashville Highway this morning called Springhouse Church. All of us have a story. We all have different circumstances. Why is it then Christians, Christian meaning being like Christ, why is it then Christians that we look at people And we do not give them the empathy that they need to understand they have a story just like we do. Why is it that when certain behaviors are expressed by people who might believe or may not believe, people who have gone astray, people who have denied Christ, why then is there an automatic expectation after we've given our life to Christ that we say they have got to perform with excellence just like the Pharisees expected the people of that time to perform with excellence and follow every rule to the T? The indicator on whether or not you know the Lord has everything to do with your behavior. And so since I see certain behaviors that don't line up with the word, you must not love the Lord. And I'm going to make sure you know about it and everybody else does. I wonder how many of us 
enjoy the benefit of the grace, the bevy of grace that Jesus gives us. But once we succumb to that grace and once we acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior and once we take what we need from him, then we go get the pharisaical garb on and we walk around as Pharisees trying to preach to everybody else pointing the finger this way. Now, some would say, oh, here goes another little soft message that we're going to do at Springhouse about how we're supposed to love others. I would argue that this is the most important message that Christians could ever hear. The way that we are supposed to treat others because Jesus Christ came and spread his blood, not only so that we can be reconciled to him, so that we can be reconciled to one another so that we can be reconciled to one another. And so there was an accusation made of Jesus, and it was this, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Now we look at that phrase, especially on this side of salvation, this side of the story, and we look at that and say, well, that is actually a compliment. Jesus is friend of sinners. It was not used as a compliment when it was said to him. It was an accusation. Because the Pharisees saw Jesus proclaiming God, teaching about God, yet he was hanging out with those people. Can I tell you, I am one of those people. You are one of those people. And it seems to be that those people, those people were more interested in hearing what Jesus had to say than the people who knew more about Jesus themselves because of what they've studied and what they, and what they knew. Jesus was a friend of sinners. But a lot of times when we look at this, we look at this phrase, Jesus, friend of sinners, if we're honest with ourselves, we read it. Our mind doesn't contemplate Jesus. Our mind doesn't really even contemplate friend. Our eyes and our mind is drawn right to sinners. And then we build a wall right in between us and everybody else who qualifies for sinner. I want you to know that we qualify as sinner. All have sinned, right? So just for a few moments, just for me and for us today, and just to lay a framework, I want to eliminate the preposition there. And I want to just talk about Jesus as a friend. I want to talk just a moment as G, for, uh, about Jesus as a friend. Jesus defines friendship in a way that is countercultural to the way we define friendship here in America and probably around the globe. The word that is used in scripture for friendship all throughout the New Testament is the word phileo, phileo. And phileo has a very uh, special meaning when it comes to friendship. And I want to read this to you. Phileo love is shown within close friendships. This is a generous and affectionate love that seeks to make the other person happy with no expectation for the acts of kindness to be returned. Now we can stop right there. I'm your friend and I want you to be happy and I want to be generous to you, but I am measuring the reciprocation every day. That is not phileo love. It's not the love he's talking about. It's not really the supernatural kingdom minded love we're supposed to have for one another. Remember selflessness requires nothing in return. So to continue David and Jonathan are one of the Bible's best examples of phileo love within a friendship. In 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 3, it describes their friendship and it says in part that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan made a covenant or a promise with David because he loved him as his own 
So, now we don't understand this. This is kind of like, this is kind of like me, uh, us walking on coals with, my, with our spouses on our backs. This is counter-cultural that you would have a friend, a deep friendship with somebody that would be intimate enough that you would connect, be connected by soul. But Jesus Christ came to obliterate the cultural bias and lens, the cultural definition of love and friendship and relationship. He came to obliterate that and redefine it in the way that he saw it. And if we would embrace supernaturally the way that God sees friendship and sees, uh, sees relationship, we would see some things happen in us that would allow us to heal from past wounds, heal from past brokenness, heal crevices in our lives in ways that you would never imagine possible. Have you ever had a friend who stepped into your life and said, I'm willing to give everything to you. I'm willing to do anything for you. I love you because of who you are, despite what you do for me, to me, or with me in return. And the truth of the matter is those friends are very, very far and few between if you even have them. But everybody in the room longs to have one like that. Everyone in the room longs to have a relationship like that. And so let's look at some of the list of the qualities of a good friend. Let's just very basic. Okay. So I want you to think everybody, I'm going to have you raise your hand, but I would say everybody in here has friends. And and some of you would say, man, I've got, you know, I've got, let's just pretend right now we're all friends. Okay. We're all friends. Okay. Even if you don't like the person you're sitting next to right now, we're all friends. Okay. Everybody's friends in this room. Okay. We start on this list and we go down this road of friendship And I want you to notice as it gets harder, the base of friendships gets lower and lower. Let's watch. The first qualification, friends should be refreshing. Friends should be refreshing. When you get into your friend's presence, man, it should be something where there's laughter, there's joy, there's a refreshing element that comes. Friends should be encouraging. Encouraging. Nothing like a friend that comes in and just spouts out discouragement to you all the time. I think that's abuse. That's not friendship. Friends should be helpful. Oh, we just eliminated. Okay, there's 20%. Why is there 20% gone? Because all friends say, I'll be there anytime you need me. But when the rubber hits the road, doesn't always act that way. Doesn't always look that way. Do you got some friends that you can call up in a moment's notice and they will be there no matter what's going on? You can't be that for everybody. But do you got some friends that you call up and it's, they're there. Friends should be affectionate. Tell you what, you saw that Arab picture up there? Somebody got real queasy because of our culture. But friends should be able to be affectionate. Bible even talks about greeting each other with a holy kiss. We have so perverted affection in our culture that we dismiss the healing properties and powers in affectionate love. Just dismiss another 40% of that group trustworthy. Well, now we're down to just a few. What do you mean? 
Trustworthy means that if I am in relationship with you, if I'm, if I'm in friendship with you and I have bared my all and I have given you all this information about what's going on inside my life, then you take that information and decide, I'm just going to go carry this on to this person that has no clue, no, no, idea, no idea or no relationship with this person. And then the trust is severed and broken because you took the information outside of the context of the relationship. Friends should be trustworthy. I was just trying to help you. I didn't give you permission to do that. Go to the Lord. Now we're really getting low. Friends should be forgiving. You wronged me. And so I'm out of here. Until you realize how much the blood of Jesus Christ covered your own sin. How many have had a friend that really just blew it? Or maybe you were a friend that you just blew it. I mean, you just completely, and you had a friend who offered grace and forgave you despite the circumstance and the situation. Forgiveness. A few more attached with the actual verses because we're getting real slim on our, on, our, on our pool, it looks like. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. You know, I'm going to say something that's probably going to hit hard for some of you. And it's probably just because I'm how I'm wired, but the jabs that we make at one another, the sarcastic remarks that we make at one another, the things where that are actually hurtful words are powerful. God used words to create the world. Words are powerful. And I would solicit to you just to allow the Lord to maybe minister to your mind that when you're jabbing and when the other person's laughing, you may actually be hurting them on a deep level that you don't understand because they don't know how to respond. The Bible says, don't let any, don't let some unwholesome talk come out of your mouth as long as you're with these people. No, don't let any unwholesome talk. Guys, there is enough in this culture that beats people down. Why would we need to do that in the church? Why do we need to do that to each other? Let's put each other up. Again, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself. I'm putting your needs above mine. And here's the real kicker. Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down one's life for his friend. Went and played in escape room recently uh, with James actually. And uh, we were in this, this spaceship or whatever. And at the end, we got to the end and it was like countdown. And I realized when we were in there, I just, as I was putting all of it together, somebody's going to have to sacrifice their life in order to win this. Somebody has to go into where the bomb glo- goes off and the door has the shut. And as soon as I realized that I took the thing, I opened the door and I threw myself in the room and closed it so that he could live. Now, that sounds kind of like a, like pat me on the back story, <laughs> but it is a picture. It is a picture of when the rubber hits the road And there's got to be a sacrifice made for friendship. Do you have somebody in your life that's willing to, no matter what, take the key and jump in and close the door? There's no conversation. There's no, just, I'm going to do this. Phileo love. Phileo love. Jesus was a friend, a phileo friend 
to sinners, to the people with stories, to the people with the mess, to the people who did not measure up according to the Pharisees, Jesus was a friend to sinners. And if Jesus was a friend to sinners, how ought we be treating one another? Now, Jesus did not condone sin. He did not endorse sin. Jesus never participated in sin, but Jesus covered sin. Jesus covered sin so that we would have a pathway to him in relationship. Jesus covered our sin so that a dialogue and a conversation could happen. The word says, come, let us reason together. Let us discuss the matter at hand. God has not, he has not relented chasing after those who are running from him, who are confused by him, who have questions that are unanswered, who, who, don't, who don't really know what they're doing, who are headed to destruction. He has not split the sky because there is a dying world out there that needs to know the truth of Jesus Christ. And as we discovered a few, a few weeks ago, God's chosen instrument is people. He wants to use you to convey his love to a dying world. And so I think of people in scripture, Jesus going up and seeing Zacchaeus in the tree. Zacchaeus who stole money, who probably had lots of insecurities inside him. And Jesus says, I've got to come to your house today. I think of Mary Magdalene who appeared at dinner when Jesus is reclining at the table and pours out expensive perfume all over Jesus's feet because Jesus was compassionate and, and allowed her to have a story that was of brokenness and he was offering the opportunity for healing. Nobody at the table understood that. You know what they saw? You're spending and wasting expensive perfume. I think of the woman who is caught in the middle of adultery. Everybody with a stone, not one person taking a moment to find out what the circumstances or what the story behind it. All we see is the sin and we're ready to cast the stone. Is that how we're living our lives, church, today? Because it's not how Jesus rolled. It's not how Jesus operated when he found other people going through things. Jesus always made time and made room and made space to just be. So what I want you to understand today is when we cross people who are mixed up in all sorts of mess, I want you to understand that you have a story, a journey too. You have a journey as well. And everybody is walking this journey out. Empathy is the ability to understand and be sensitive to the experiences of somebody else. Now you might not know the details of somebody else's story, but you know that they've got a story and you can empathize that everyone has a story. Everyone is a sinner and everyone needs a savior. Just like you needed a savior in my life, guys, my life was not radically changed because I was messing up on the side of the road. I was doing X, Y, and Z and somebody just put a big flashlight on my life and had a stone ready to say, you're messing up. You need to get your life together. Look what's going on. Pay attention, Kevin, wake up. You need to get it together. Love changed my life. Love changed my life. 
And for some reason, guys, we tend to get in this thing that we, we see God's amazing grace and his love. The word talks about his, his banner over me, his love, right? And so we see this amazing love that he has placed in our life upon salvation. And we get under here and we realize how really good it is. And we initially really realize it because when you're out in the world, and some of you have these types of testimonies and stories, when you're out in the world and you recognize what God has saved you from, and you recognize all of the pain and depression and defeat and all of the the destruction you're added toward, and you realize now that you have life, when we get over here, it is eye-opening. It is Marshall up there saying, my life is made new. My life is made new. And you revel and you are so excited to be under the banner of his love because he has changed your life from the inside out. Justin, come on up here. James, come up here. John, come up here, please. Like one of you to sit on the bench and the other two just kind of hang out. So what happens here is we get, these guys are mixed up in sin. Doesn't it look like it? <laughs> these guys are mixed up in sin and they're rolling together and they're, and they're every type of, every type of, you fill in the blank because you can think of a million, whatever, the, whatever your sin of choice is, Baskin Robbins here, 31 flavors, choose one. They're mixed up in this, Okay. But the, pro, but the thing I want you to understand is while they're mixed up in this sin, John has his own story. He may end up, ended up in the same place, but he has his own story. Justin may have ended up in the same place, but he has his own story. James may have ended up in the same place, but they all have their own story that the Lord wants to redeem. It's interesting how sin will bring us to the similar place, the similar hole of destruction, won't it? And so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, let's say John, he goes to some revival, right? And John all of a sudden is introduced to Jesus and everything has changed in his life. He is now living under the banner of God's love. The word tells us in the book of Psalms that the boundary lines of my life have fallen in pleasant places. And now for John, it has fallen for him in pleasant places. He is so excited about this new life, this abundant life that he has that is so far in contrast to the life he was living over here. So John gets, John gets saved. John is, is over here under the banner of God's love. And he is now confronted with the people that are living the lifestyle that he used to live. Now, what so many of us do is we grab such a hold of God's love here and we stay right here and we look and we shout and we say, get your life together, fix your problems. Good, good job, buddy. Yeah, you don't have to yell, it's fine. Yeah. And, we, and we, put, we put everything at arm's length. 
Because we're not going to abandon this. It's like, no, this is, this is banner of God's love. I'm here. I'm, I'm stable. I'm secure. I don't want anything to do. I don't want anything. It's good that you don't want anything to do with that. Right. But the problem is, John, is not only are you responsible for the Lord, Lord moving in your life and changing your life, but he has commissioned you to go out into the world and spread his love and his gospel. You see, it continues to give. It's not a selfish love. It's a selfless love that you have to give because now you have, you've been overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And so if you're staying here, they're over there dying. And you know they're dying because you used to be dying with them. I have no idea. I've got my, my sin stuff is over here. I've got my own stuff, so I've got a group of people I'm ministering to over here because I can, rela- I can empathize with the story that's happening over here, but you can empathize with their story because you walk those paths. It will be so interesting because when you open your eyes, the Lord, all of a sudden, all the people that you're walking with inside, they're just right there. All, all the access to all the stuff that you used to be a part of, right there is so easy for you to grab. Why do you think that is? It's because the Holy Spirit wants to use you as an agent of his grace. And so what we do, well, now we have two choices. You can step out of the banner of love and say, well, that was good for a minute. And you can sit right back down and welcome home. (laughs) Dive right back into that lifestyle. And guys, a lot of people do that. A lot of people do that. They get sidetracked and they get right back into their lifestyle. Or come back over here. You can understand that God has given you the ability to be covered under his love and you go and you sit. Now there's a difference here, buddy. There's a difference here. You're covered and you're hanging out here and Justin has a story and your job isn't to beat him to death with all of your new life and all your new living and all this stuff. Our job is to sit down and empathize with Justin. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Justin was your best friend. And so Justin's not very happy that you're coming back around with this. And so he pushes you off the bench. And he hurts you. Guess what your response is? Go right back to the bench and sit down. Justin talks bad about you says all types of hurtful things about you. Spreads your business that you told him that he wasn't supposed to know. Pushes you off the bench and scars you again. Guess why that doesn't bother you? Because the Lord is taking care of all of your wounds and all of the things and all of that pride that was in there is all going down and he's redeeming all of that. So guess what? You're limping and you're scarred up and guess what? You come right back here and you sit down. Once more, Justin isn't taken and so he just knocks you out, just completely knocks you out, Right? <laughs> And John, you continue to get up, but it's not in your own strength because greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. And God has given you a supernatural strength by the Holy Spirit to get up and keep coming back. And eventually, Justin doesn't have any more in him to dish out to you where he eventually begins to break and concede. And the concession, the reason he's conceding is, why would you be so kind to keep coming back and enduring the abuse I'm giving you after years. Listen to me, people. 
Sometimes you have to walk with people for years while they're walking through their sin and their mess and their muck and their mire. You keep showing up. You keep sitting down because it's a part of their story. And so the Holy Spirit starts to get involved here and Justin starts to break because you did not give up on him. And all of a sudden you are the agent that he uses to hand a gift of salvation over to Justin. All of a sudden, Justin now has the gift of salvation and he too is now covered. And now you can walk to the banner of his love together (laughs) and you can be healed. Now, James is going to hell. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But look at this power. Now you got two brothers in the same situation, been set free. And this guy's over here and he's been the big thug of them all. He's actually started the whole mess over here. He's got the big guns. And guys, you come over and sit down, James. You come over and you start to get around him. And guys, it might take years. It might take, but my experience has been that the Holy Spirit's contagious. Jesus is contagious. And so you start getting enough of the people. The Lord starts moving in their life. All of a sudden, exponentially, things start to change around that group. Because nobody, whether they're in sin or not, wants to be isolated and alone. It will drive you to the pit of sin. But when you see that there is a gift of salvation out there, that there is something better that is attractive, you'll jump on board. And then they begin to offer him and they bring him over here also into the banner of of his love. And so, and then there's freedom. There's freedom, right? Thank you guys so much. Um, (laughs) they're not leaving without their covering Jesus said that when the owner of the sheep found the lost one he didn't yell at the sheep he didn't kick the sheep he didn't slaughter the sheep because you messed up he joyfully picked it up on its shoulders let me let me let me He picked it up and put it on his shoulders because he says, you don't have the strength to come home alone. You need my strength in order to make it home. And after carrying the burden for the sheep, the first thing out of the mouth when the sheep comes back into the fold isn't, let me tell you what this sheep did. Let me tell you what this sheep got into. Let me just expose everything that's been going on. No, he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Rejoice with me because that which was lost has now been found, has now been found found. Guys, we learn, Cole, come on. We learn over in Romans 2 this, God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. It is his kindness that's intended to lead us to repentance. Notice there, it's God's kindness. If Jesus was being kind to all of these people in order to get them to a place of repentance, what type of, tool, what type of tools do we think we're using on the people that we see have gone, who have gone astray? 
We have to exercise the power of empathy, understanding that we are not the one doing the transformation or the work. It is Christ Jesus himself. He is the one who changes lives. He uses us as willing vessels to go out into the world and guess what? Be under the blood of of the lamb and the word of our testimony, our story. Marshall, you have a story. God is going to use that story to advance the kingdom. There are people who have been down the dark roads that you've gone in, people you've hung out with, people you've rubbed elbows with, people you've probably drank with, buddy, people that you just sat with in a pit. And guess what? They're looking at you like, let me see if this is really real. But guess what? You have an, love is exuding out of your life right now. Joy is exuding out of your life. The gifts of the spirit, the, the, the fruit of the spirit is exuding out of your life and it is attractive and it is attractive. And so you keep getting back there. You go to that bench every single time. You just sit there. Let them push you off. Let them talk bad about you guys. That's called suffering for Christ. Just so you know. When people push back, when people say, our lives are not supposed to necessarily just be cushy lives where we're just all about how we can build wealth for ourselves. We are supposed to be used as vessels to to minister and show Christ to a dying world. That's why we're here. That's why this message is so stinking important. Jesus, he came to see the unseen. He came to see the broken. And I don't know where you are today because I believe there's probably some people in here on their journey and you are confused. You have questions that have gone unanswered. You have prayed and prayed and prayed and it seems like God is distant. And in all of those places and all of those things, you keep coming back and you don't necessarily know why you're coming back, but the reason you're coming back is because he has always rendered kindness. He has always been kind in all of those situations. So I asked Cole to do this song. So that we can recollect and remember that we too have a story. And God is a significant part of our story in how he responded to us. Cole, go ahead. All he's ever been is kind. Cross-culturally, Across all experiences, circumstances, and stories, God renders kindness. What's the goal? So that we would turn away from the destruction of this world and receive an abundant love that we can't even comprehend. You have a story, and that story doesn't just belong to you. God comes in, redeems your story, and he uses it for a dying world. So I don't know if you've gone astray or that you know somebody who's gone astray or maybe you're working with people that have no clue. But I encourage you, keep sitting back down at the bench. Keep going back to the mat. You're not supposed to do that with everyone. Who's the Lord put in your path? I don't know who he's put in my path. Ask him. Ask the Lord. Lord, who have you put in my path? And to begin to exercise that filial love we talked about. This joy unexplainable. And lastly, I would say, if you have a friend, you know, we tend to be, we tend to be harsh to the people we're closest with because we expect them to give us a margin of grace. 
But if you have a friend in your life who is phileo, some of you do. Thank the Lord. Express to them what it means to you. Allow that to continue to be. And if you don't have that type of friend, if you don't have that type of friend, start being that type of friend to someone. And watch the Lord do exponential things with it. Do you stand with me? I'm going to give you a blessing this morning. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who breathes stars and spins the planets, may this very big, huge, sovereign, almighty God remind us of the moment when he sat right next to us in our mess and pulled us out of the muck and mire and set people in our path that we can share his good, loving grace with. Thank you for your kindness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed, Springhouse.